God bless you. I hope you brought your Bibles. And uh, this is Bible study, midweek service. You know, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a man that needeth, you know, not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, it, it, that, that word study just doesn't mean reading. It means study. That means spending time with it. It means reading and reflecting on what you've read and asking questions of yourself, asking questions of the Lord and, and asking questions like, what does this verse mean? And do some study on your own. Hallelujah. Especially if you're called of God and especially if you feel that God has a special role for you in teaching, preaching, or teaching Bible studies, and, uh, and not just witnessing, but uh, leading souls to Christ, it's important to know the Word of God. It's the tools of our trade as Christians. Mechanics have their tools. Doctor have the, doctors have their stethoscopes and their white coats and all that, you know. But we have the Word of God. This is our tool of the trade. Amen. Especially if you're a preacher. And you've got to study it. God expects us to. Can you say amen? Yes. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God for the amen corner. Amen. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 12. I will read it to you in the New Living Translation. I'm so glad I got all these digital apps because I've got, you know, the hard copy right here in King James Version. And I can have this in one copy, then in this another copy. I'm using the American Amplified Bible uh, for some other quotes here. So, uh, amen. I wish they'd have these Bibles. We can have three of them, not just two, but three of them all lined up. And I'd be, I'd be sad. Hallelujah. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read it in the King James first, uh, and then we'll look at it in the New Living Translation. Uh, chapter 12, uh, the writer is uh, addressing this whole epistle to Christian uh, believers, particularly Jewish Christians who, who were uh, Jewish at one time, and they're transitioning into Christianity. And so after 12 chapters, 11 chapters of great teaching comparing the Old Testament to the New and how that the New Testament is superior in every way based on a better uh, covenant, a better uh, uh, high priest, uh, better promises, better everything, he goes on to say, wherefore, in conclusion, seeing we are also encompassed about with so great a cloud, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. So now, looking at this in the not uh, yeah in the New Living Translation, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. I'll leave it there. Hallelujah. But this is what the, the first installment of this series of lessons tonight will be about. Uh, and what, what, what is the, the, the reason for covering this particular uh, topic tonight. 
because I'm going to be focusing on 10 weights and sins and struggles. 10 weights, sins, and struggles that so easily trip us up. Hallelujah. Now, there's no better way to do it than now as we're fasting and praying. Uh, you know, it, it, this is uh, a winter slump in some ways, and uh, the cold weather and the dreariness of, uh, uh, of, of, uh, of, how should I say this, this early darkness setting upon us each day, it kind of puts us in, in kind of a mood where we want to just roll up in a cocoon and hibernate. And sometimes uh, that, that physical, emotional feeling uh, bleeds over into our spiritual walk. And so we have to be careful that we do not fall victim to what the scripture talks about here, about, about slipping into this state of mind where we allow certain weights and certain things, weights to trip us up. Amen. Because we're in a race. We're in a race to win. And we are going to cross the finish line one day. But if we are going to do it, we're going to have to make sure that it's minus some weights and sins and uh, some struggles that we endure along the way. So some of these things we talk about may not be uh, sin. It may not be uh, something that will keep you out of heaven, but something that can lead to sin and can make your way uh, of running this race harder. So we want to eliminate those things that we want to talk about some of those things. And by no means is this, these 10 things an exhaustive list of weights, sins, and struggles. Uh, but it is something, I believe, that is, is enough to, to help us to think and uh, help us to be better Christians. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we pray asking your presence, asking for your blessings upon this preacher, upon this congregation. And we pray, O oh Lord, that by your spirit you would minister unto us grace and strength and knowledge and understanding, that we may please you in all things, in all ways that we, we live for you, O oh Lord. And help us, O oh God, to apply our hearts unto knowledge and to pay earnest heed and attention to these things. Bless your people tonight, for you know each and every one who uh, is here. They may have pain in their body. They may uh, be struggling with certain things, and they may be hurting in many different ways that we're not aware. But Lord, you are, and you know what's going on with them. And we pray, O oh Lord, that somehow their spirit would reach out to them, each and every one, and bless them in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing so long. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk tonight about uh, a particular uh, subject, and that is <laughs> laziness. Well, it's, it'll be number 10. We're working our way down to number one. Amen. Even though in, in God's book, there's no such thing as a big sin or a little sin. Sin is sin. And uh, it's, it's going to be addressed and going to be judged by God if we don't judge it ourselves. Uh, but in, in, in using a scripture for the foundation of this, this lesson, I'm going to look at Hebrew, excuse me, Proverbs 24. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30. And uh, this chapter focuses on various areas uh, of foolishness and, and, and uh, uh, different things, sins that, that we may fall into. But in verse 30, it begins to focus on the sin of laziness. 
And it says this in verse 30 through 34. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered, considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. What does all that mean? Well, uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. It's about the tragedy of a lazy man. The tragedy of the lazy man. Amen. And uh, while, how should I say this? Laziness is, is not everyone's problem. Uh, and, uh, and not everybody is lazy. Uh, but it's something that we struggle with from time to time. And it's important for us in this particular daily age, at a time when the spirit of the world and the spirit of the Antichrist wants to weary us into slumber, into sleep, we have to make sure that we are aware of this onslaught against us. We want to make sure that, that we don't give in to this spirit that would woo us into this slumber. And we have to understand that while we may get lazy in some things at some time, that we need to shake ourselves and, and, and waken ourselves... Hallelujah. And the, the Apostle Paul talks about this in his, in his epistles more than once. He talks about it's time to awaken out of a sleepness. Amen. For the night is far spent and the days at hand. And the Jesus' is coming is near. And we have to make sure that we are awake to that trumpet sound. We're awake to his call to do work in this midnight hour. Hallelujah. So we want to address laziness. It may not be your problem. Uh, laziness is just like any other sin. Uh, you know, some people are more prone to laziness while others are more prone to sexual sins or anger or some other carnality that we all battle against. But with some, some of these, these elements of sin are more prominent than it is in others. And so we want to look at laziness tonight because it is something that's contrary to the will of God. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28, right away we read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. From the very beginning we see that God is giving man among his first commands the command to work, to produce society, and to manage his creation. Note that this command to work came before God ever said anything to man about not eating of the forbidden fruit. And so we, we see that work as an important element uh, of, of creation, an important element uh, in the, the, the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were set therein. And we see also from the very beginning uh, that God gave this command to work uh, uh, and, and he required us of mankind uh, to, to spend this energy and uh, hallelujah, of one kind or another anyway. 
But in Genesis, uh, God further instructed him in Genesis 2 that he would not only just dwell there and enjoy the benefits of that garden, but to cultivate it and to guard it. He was to, to uh, keep it. Amen. And so uh, after, uh, even after the fall of man into sin, even then God repeated this command to Adam that he must work, except that now because of sin, his work would be less productive than it was before. Now it would be harder. He would work and he'd be by the sweat of his brow and thorns and thistles it would grow. And, you know, weeds, as, as we all are aware, grow much faster than, than crops that are useful. And that came right from the beginning, right after the fall. And so we see that, uh, that God told Adam that, that even then, uh, after he fallen into sin, he's going to have to work, in fact, work even more. My point in that in, is this. God can influence our productivity. Sin can influence our productivity. The things that we want to do, the things that we want to do for good may be hindered by the things that we allow in our lives. It certainly hindered Adam and Eve in carrying on a great life from producing the kind of a life that they want to live for themselves because of sin. Sin entering in. And it changed them forever. God can send angels like he did uh, when Israel came out of Egypt. Remember, God sent angels and he hindered the chariots of Pharaoh. He slowed them down. He can intervene in any kind of a military operation. He can intervene himself in, and interject himself in any kind of economic issue going on in the world in any particular country. He can increase the production or he can decrease it. And the level of sin in a nation and the level of sin that a, that a government allows into its institutions and to their culture has a great impact upon the positive productivity of that nation. Amen. Amen. So uh, it, it's interesting to note, though, that at the time when Adam and, Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan, neither one of them is recorded as being busy at work. You know the old statement, idleness is the devil's workshop. And it certainly was true in the beginning. Now, when we look at a dictionary definition of a lazy person, we see one, quote, who does not like to work. One who finds activity or effort distasteful. So a lazy person is someone who does not like that, which requires Physical or mental effort, meaning work. That's what work is all about. Because, you know, you can work studying. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Soul winning. Ministry unto the Lord. Jesus called that work. Hallelujah. The workman is, not, is worthy of his hire. Amen. But some of the reasons that, that uh, a lazy person would not work is because of his, uh, his reasoning. Uh, he may be immature. He would rather play than work. You know, children are like that. And we wouldn't expect young children to do some serious manual labor, although in some cultures they, they, they do just that. And they profit off of them, tragically so. Thank God that we're not, as a nation, uh, constrained to put our children to work so early 
Although in the last century, I have to say, there were many of our people, all kinds of people, who because of the Great Depression, uh, they, they were forced to work at a very early age. They were forced to give up their schooling and give up a bright future simply because everyone in the family had to go to work to earn some money so they could survive. And really in the third world countries, that is mainly the most reason that, that children are at work as well. Uh, but in some countries, they wouldn't have to, but they use children because it's cheap labor. And it's still a plague in much of the world today. But bringing it back to us, when someone uh, who, who is immature, they may, they may be a grown-up already, but in their mindset, they're still immature. They'd rather work than they would play. I'm really concerned about our generation. Hallelujah, today. Because the mindset is, is more about how I can avoid work or, or make an easy living where I wouldn't have to work a lot, but I could spend a lot of time entertaining myself instead. And when, you know, I, I can, I'm telling you right now, I'm reading comments by employers who are having a hard time filling slots for people who want to work. And so immaturity is certainly uh, something that plays a role in that. Uh, then and there's the, the idea of selfishness. Uh, not wanting to work is really uh, a, just a, 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 a selfish attitude because when you work, you have to give of yourself. You have to give your energy. You have to give your attention. You have to give your time. It's giving of your life. And you'd rather keep it to yourself and do the things that you enjoy, wouldn't we all? Instead, you want to do the things that really satisfies you. So any physical or mental effort uh, and that requires the giving of self uh, is not what a lazy person wants to do because they are selfish. And this is the real problem in that. But lazy person loves himself too much to give any of himself away for work or service. And that mentality can bleed into the church too. Thank God we have a lot of hard workers in this place. Hallelujah. I'll pray that God would give us more hard workers. We need more hard workers in the kingdom. Especially this hour when the hour is late and the harvest is great. Hallelujah. And so laziness loves idleness. Lazy people love inactivity and sleep, and they love lounging and entertainment more than work. And anything that requires effort or pain of giving is a negative experience for them, and so they avoid it like the plague. Their happiness, quote unquote, comes from self indulgence and, and, and easy diversion rather than the satisfaction of accomplishment and effort and serving. And so they get their source of affirmation with respect to, you know, their, their, their strokes, uh, their, their love uh, of entertainment and lounging and rest rather than working and accomplishment. Amen. Now, the Bible has a description for lazy people as well, and, and we're going to look at that. The lazy person, the Bible declares to be wasteful. A lazy person wastes his time, his energy, his talent, and opportunities to use it for God and his kingdom. After all, all the things that God gives us is from him, right? right. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so 
we find that lazy people often invest their time into things which are not really productive working at all, but they're just time fillers. Time fillers. And that in their own mind is work. While I'm working, I'm, I'm busy. But it's, it's nothing really but time because there's nothing productive that comes out of it. And we have to be careful how we use our time to make sure that we're not deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're busy when we're actually idle. You know, I remember I think Brother T.F. Tinney mentioned one time, one of the one-liners, that you can have as much activity as a rocking chair and never make any progress. You know, have you rocked in a rocking chair? Now you can go fast or you can go slow, but you're not going anywhere. It's idle activity. And there's such a thing. So we have to be careful that we don't fall victim to idle uh, activity that doesn't get us anywhere. Amen. And making sure that our happiness doesn't come from that kind of self-indulgence. But, it's our, but that our energy is expended into the kingdom and the work of the kingdom and something that is productive. Some kind of activity that gets you somewhere. Activity where you learn something, you, you, you pick up a new skill, you, you, you learn something more about the world, you, you learn more, something more about, about God and the word of God. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Or you're visiting people because they need the fellowship, spending time doing the things in the kingdom that edifies and builds someone else and builds their faith and their love. Amen. Now, when you look at the Bible description of a, a lazy person, and I remember Sister Becky Poole taught uh, on this. Amen. Go to the go to the ant, thou sluggard. Amen. And uh, she brought a lot of great points. And and that is a good lesson to look back to and remember. Uh, and I'm piggybacking on that in some respects. Uh, but it is it is a time again for us to reflect and remind ourselves about some of these things, and looking at how uh, God looks at these these weights and these sins. As far as the Bible is concerned, again, the lazy person is wasteful. And the lazy person is not only wasteful, he's also full of excuses. Proverbs 26, 13 and through 14 says, A slothful man saith, There's a line in the way, a line is in the streets. And, the, and as the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. Amen. A lazy person is, is an expert at making excuses. Amen. You may not be one, but you may know somebody. Hallelujah. And uh, you can pick them out and uh, maybe you can minister to them sometime. If God puts you in their sphere of influence where they would allow you to speak into their lives. A lazy person will ask things like why things should be done tomorrow instead of today. They'll tell you, they, whatever they need to do, they'll tell them, well, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later. I'll do it some other time. I have good intentions. I'll get to it. A lazy person is an expert at making excuses about why things are not finished. And they will say why things are too hard, too complicated, too much, too far from their reach, too far from their bed, in other words, really. Hallelujah. Praise God. And the reason why a lazy person doesn't succeed is always because of someone or something else. It's never something about themselves. 
It's always somebody else's fault. It's always the world around me. It's the system. It's, it's this. It's that. And usually that, that the lazy ones use up all of their energy being jealous of other people who succeed and blame them for their, lack, their own lack of success. For a lazy person, an obstacle is something which will provide them with an excuse to avoid any effort. Any effort at all. But a diligent person, on the other hand, is a diligent person where he finds an obstacle that he comes against and he, it, it forces them to, to figure out a solution to their problems, to find a remedy, to find an answer, and to get the job done. Now, a lazy person is wise in his own eyes. Not only does he make excuses, he's, you know, he knows everything. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason or give a discreet answer. Lazy people know everything, as I mentioned. And they have all the answers. You can't tell them anything. But the truth is that the lazy people avoid two things, and that's effort and truth. They avoid putting forth any effort, and they, they avoid truth like the plague also. It's a vicious cycle. Because if they admit the truth that they're lazy, then they have to work. And that means making an effort. And they don't like that. So the best that, that they will do is, is to make an effort to avoid the truth. <laughs> and that way they don't have to be accountable to it. and They don't have to make any changes. Now, as we know, obviously there's a danger to this kind of thinking and laziness. Uh, because... As with other sins, they're sins because they can harm us in many ways. And uh, it can also violate the holiness of God. And it, it's, it's things that are displeasing to him. Laziness, in one way, leads and can lead to poverty. And let me just quickly say that, that not, all, poop, not all, all poor people are lazy. Make no mistake about that. That's not what we're talking about. But most lazy people do get poor. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want or thy need, a lack, as an arm of the man. I'll get to that more towards the end. Proverbs 10, 4 says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent. Maketh rich, slack hand. It's you never do anything with great effort. It's just the it's the least amount of effort, the ease that you take in whatever job you do. You always pick the easy way out. And the Bible says that that he becomes poor. That works like that. But on the other hand, here's the contrast. And that's what Proverbs is all about. All about right. Proverbs in Hebrews means laying something side by side. It's saying one thing and then comparing it to something else. Many times the opposite. And here's one of those parallels, one of those opposites. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. But on the other side, lay side by side. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs 19.15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. See, it's not just physical poverty, but emotional and spiritual poverty as well. 
You are, you know, slack in your, in your worldly affairs and your, and your physical way of, of living your life. It will bleed over into your emotional and your spiritual realms as well. And lazy people will make no effort at all whatsoever for physical things, so, so they won't do it for spiritual, emotional re- rewards either. And so laziness does lead to poverty, at least what the scripture points to. And it also leads to shame. Proverbs 10.5, He that gathereth in, in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. It's a disordered life. Caused by laziness brings shame on those who depend on that person. If a family is destitute and living without because the brethren of family refuses to work, that's sad. That's the saddest situation of all. When God designed us and created us and wired us to work. Many people don't realize, especially the lazy, that, that they're going to be nothing but unhappy if they keep on not working. And this is why I say unemployment is a good thing. If, if you get unemployment compensation, but don't make a career out of it. Too many people are making a career out of unemployment. That's not God's will. You may get a lot of money. You may get even more money than what they pay you on the market. But I'll tell you, you will end up being unhappier. Because God didn't design you that way. And you'll find, I, I don't think, and I hear a lot about, you know, guaranteed incomes and so on. I've seen it in societies in Europe, uh, you know, guaranteed income. I'm telling you, the, the answer is not more money. The answer is a spiritual goal. It's understanding who you are, what your purpose is, and getting busy in the kingdom and doing it. Yes, Too many people in this country, even in the world, they're getting money, but they have no purpose of living. And they're unhappy, and they will continue to be unhappy. Well, thank you, Jesus. I think that was an exclamation mark of what I was saying. Thank you, Jesus. But that's really what this sort of life is all. It causes, caused by laziness, and it brings shame on those people who depend on you. And so it, they become unhappy, and their whole family is unhappy. So, so those things that bring honor to a person come with effort. I don't know of anybody that, that gained any great or achieved any great success without effort. Amen. Amen. And to, for what it's worth in this country, this is one of the greatest countries that rewards effort more than anything. At the same token, this country now is becoming a government that is beginning to penalize achievement and effort more than any other country. And it's primarily done by taxation in the name of fair share. Let that sink in. I don't have time to sink in economics and things. But having an aversion to making an effort brings the opposite of honor, which is shame. And that's exactly what Proverbs 10.5 is telling us. Now, besides laziness leading to shame, laziness also leads to dissatisfaction. I mentioned that. Proverbs 13.4 brings it out. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. In other words, the sluggard is twilling his thumbs, dreaming about the way things should be. 
or the things he'd like to have, but he doesn't lift a finger to get it. And as a result, he becomes very unhappy. It robs a person of the many joys in life that others have, especially when they compare themselves to the others. Lazy folks who, who don't acknowledge the truth about themselves, they become envious of others and depressed about their own situation. That's always the way it is. And so it's a tragedy. More than that, the Bible says laziness leads to slavery. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent shall be a rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute, under interest, hallelujah, under payments. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. That's where servanthood comes in. That's where slavery comes in. You know how many people are slaves to their debt? I'm talking about people high up. And, we, and I, th I think you, you, you remember some of the uh, testimonies uh, from when, when we had the, uh, the iLife classes on Sunday nights. And uh, we had, um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name with what, the, the financial money makeover? Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey. How, many, how many doctors and lawyers and professionals who have graduated from college and never really have uh, uh, developed any disciplines, financial disciplines, and never learned anything about, about saving their money or how to have a budget. And these guys are making thousands upon thousands of dollars and they're living from paycheck to paycheck. And they're in debt way beyond their means. It's not just the poor. It's just to show you that, that money is not the answer. It's how you deal with it. That's right. You've got to know how to handle it. Amen. And you keep on borrowing. You are making yourself a slave. Because you owe your soul to the company store. Hmm? Some of you don't remember that song. I don't remember that song. 16 tons in. What do you get? Another day older and the deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. Oh, my soul to the company store. Hmm? Yeah, when you're indebted and all you're living for, all you're working for, just pay one credit card debt after the other or just one payment after the other, you know, it adds up. And you don't have any joy, you don't have any peace, so you can't sleep at night because all you worry about is making ends meet. It'd be better to do without a few things that you think you need and put some money aside for a rainy day and have all the money you need to make your payments rather than have everything you want and lose sleep over it and use your, lose your peace. See, lazy people want the same thing that others have. But they come indebted to the lender for having them. So, it's interesting, and if you think about it, it doesn't take any effort to create debt. <laughs> but it takes a great deal of effort to pay it off. And unfortunately, too many people don't want to do that. So... Again, please understand, not all poor people are lazy. 
but mostly the people end up being poor, financially, emotionally, and worst of all, spiritually. And we're spiritual people, amen? amen. Hallelujah. And so, uh, it's not someone else's fault. It's not because of bad luck. It's not because of lack of opportunity or talent. It just comes down to plain laziness. And some young people in particular today in this generation are there. And it, it hurts me. It bothers me. So, Getting back to Proverbs 24, 30 through 34, I'll read it again. It's, it's the tragedy of a lazy man. Uh, and, and I'm going to be reading you the amplified version, okay? It says this, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man void or empty of understanding. And behold, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles were covering the face uh, its face, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I beheld and considered it, it well. I looked and received instruction. See, the wise person learns from somebody else's mistakes. And this wise man certainly did. Then I beheld and considered it well. I looked and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come as a robber and, you, and your want as an armed man. It says, there it was, all grown over with thorns. That is what the wise man saw when he looked at the field or the vineyard of that lazy man. The lazy man did not plant the thorns or the nettles, and he did not deliberately break down that stone wall. Yet his laziness made these things happen just as he had deliberately done them. And all he had to do is neglect it. And it's the same result as if you would get up there and sow your thorns and nettles that if you would break that wall down on your own by shoving at it and picking at it with a pick and axe. And neglect and laziness would do that. And so he said, when I saw it, I considered it well. The wise man learned from the tragedy of this lazy man. He didn't have to suffer the same things that the lazy man did to learn the lesson. And you and I don't have to either. If we could just take wisdom from the word of God. But this is indeed one of the marks of wisdom. It's learning from other people's mistakes. And we can do that by learning and studying scripture. We learn, yes, a lot about God. But we learn a lot about ourselves too. When we read the word and study it. And then the scripture goes on to say, a little sleep, a little slumber. So this is how the lazy man rationalizes his neglect of his duty. A little sleep causes no harm. Surely we all need a little slumber. Sure we do, but not all the time. Don't make a career out of sleeping in bed. The problem isn't the sleep of the lazy man, it's the neglect of his duty. So we must understand that, that the very best things that we have, no matter what it is, it becomes worse if we neglect it. I'm talking about each, anything that you might, it could be the best field, it could be the best house, the best car, it could be the best marriage. And worst of all, it could be the best spiritual life. It will deteriorate if you and I neglect that. And these last days and the last hours, we've got to be careful. We have to beware. Make sure that we aren't dilatory 
but we will be vigilant. The next line says, so shall your poverty come like a robber, as an armed man. See, this is the destiny of the lazy man or woman. It's because of the sinful neglect, poverty will come upon them as suddenly and strongly as an unwelcome and, and uh, uh, an armed robber who suddenly robs you of everything you got. That's what he's talking about. Think about it. If, if somebody comes up to you and everything you have is in your wallet, and a robber says, give me your wallet, and he takes everything you have, your credit cards, debit cards, he takes all the, all the thousands of dollars you have in your wallet. Hmm. Wouldn't that be great? But let's say all of a sudden that robber came and took everything you owned. All of a sudden it's gone. And God says that's how suddenly that poverty will come and strike the lazy person. It will be overwhelming. It will be total. It will be a major loss. And it's not something that can be easily uh, uh, regained. Think about even if, you just, if they stake your credit cards. I don't know how many credit debit cards you have. You know how much hassle it is to, to, to renew that and make sure that it's shut down? Make sure you know your account numbers. Make sure you call the right bank and make sure they shut it down and, and so on and so on. It's a nightmare. And yet the Bible says that's what's going to happen to the lazy person who will be suddenly overwhelmed by a robber. Amen. See, when, when the poverty suddenly comes upon the lazy man, he thinks to himself to be innocent. You know, when somebody comes to you and says, hands up, and he thinks everything got, you're a victim there. You're innocent. You didn't do anything. And the lazy man will look at this sudden tragedy as something that he didn't deserve. I'm innocent. I didn't do anything to deserve this. And yet I lost everything. And yet, the Bible is very clear in telling us that it's his lifestyle, it's his attitude, it's his neglect of his duty that brought him to that point, and he robbed himself. Right. So, how about the spiritual sluggard? Not just somebody who's maybe a bad steward over physical things or, or their own gifts and their own talents, and their own time that they could possibly invest better in, in bettering themselves and, and, uh, and gaining newer skills, getting better jobs. But spiritually speaking, we, we may have a problem there too if we're a sluggard, if we neglect our duty. See, a, a, a neglected field that this wise man was talking about is a pitiful sight indeed, but so is a soul that's neglected. How is our soul? What condition is your soul in today? Is it neglected or are you vigilant with what you do? See, if we neglect our soul, we'll be soon overgrown with all kinds of thorns and thistles and nettles and all kinds of spiritual moles. And your field will be all dug up and it will be fruitless. It will be barren. Look at the New Testament warning from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. And uh, I think I'm reading this from the Amplified Version as well. And it says this, 
Since all this is true, he's speaking about about the New Testament and what he wrote in verse 1. Since all this is true, I'm chapter 1. Since all this is true, we ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. Let me read that again. We ought to pay much closer attention, not neglectfully, not let it go in one ear and out the other, but pay more close attention to what we hear than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. For if the message given through angels and the law spoken to them by Moses was authentic and proved sure and every violation and disobedience received an appropriate and just adequate penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect and refuse to pay attention to such a great salvation as is now offered to us, letting it drift past us forever? This is how shall we escape if we neglect it and let these things slip away? For it was declared, declared at first by the Lord himself, and it was confirmed to us and proved to be real and genuine by those who personally heard, heard him speak, in other words. See, so we can neglect our spiritual field. We can neglect our spiritual soul. And so the opposite of that neglect is diligence. And the Bible says a lot about diligence. Hallelujah. Amen. God rewards diligent faith. Those who diligently seek him. That's painstaking effort, right? And here in Philippians 2, verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, please, don't get me off on this track and say that, you know, grace, grace, grace. Amen. I know that God, our salvation is by grace and not by works. But verse 10 says, we're created unto good works. And God expects us to good, good works, not to, uh, to, to, to earn salvation, but because we are saved. He's looking for that fruit of good work. And salvation is something you work out after you're saved. How so? It's by doing the things that you know need to do. You need to pray. You need to fast as we're on this 21-day fast. Hallelujah. You need to study the word of God. You need to walk in holiness and allow God to perfect you and to change you into his image from glory to glory. And allow God to transform your thinking. Listen, we're citizens of heaven. We're not just citizens of the United States of America. I'm not just a citizen of of Europe or someplace else. Amen. I'm not just a citizen of my culture and my race. I'm a citizen first and foremost uh, of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And it's whatever he says I should be is what I should do. I don't care what the world says that I can do. The world says I can drink all the alcohol I want to as long as I don't hurt anybody. Now they're saying I can smoke weed. They say I can gamble legally. 
The word of God says totally something different. Amen. The world says I can dress any way I want to. The word of God says I better walk modestly. I'm not walking by the word standards. I'm, world, I'm walking by the standards of the kingdom of God. That comes first. I don't care what the world says and does. I don't care what the fashion models do. I belong to Jesus Christ. I walk by a different rule, by a different standard. I have a different leader than the President of the United States. We have a different rule than the laws of this land that is of a higher value and a higher standard and demands greater things from us than any worldly government ever would. And if they did, I turned my back on it and I'd do God instead. That's exactly what the three Hebrew young men did. They, it cost them going into the fire, but God kept them. When Daniel kept his, his, uh, his uh, godly habit of praying three times a day, and you know, these connivers, uh, you know, the, the, these people who connived against Daniel, they were jealous of him and, and they hated him. Hallelujah. They hated him because of his God. And they tried to find a fault in him by using his worship and his religion. So what they did, amen, they came up with a rule. They came to the king un, who was unawares. He was totally oblivious of what these connivers were doing. They asked him to pass a law. So for the next 30 days, nobody can ask a petition of any God except to come and get permission from you. Sign a decree. And the king said, okay, I'll sign it. And all of a sudden, there's Daniel opening his window towards the east, and he's praying three times a day that he's always had. And so these connivers come up to the king and say, hey, king, did you sign that edict and that law? And it says, hey, nobody can pray except they come to you first. Yeah. Well, Daniel, you know, he's there praying three times a day to his God. Whoa. God's heart was smote. I mean, the, the king's heart was smote because, you know, he, he liked Daniel. But when he heard that he was doing this without his permission, well, he had the law. Amen. Well, you know what happened? He got thrown into the lion's den. A great miracle took place. But the point is, he disobeyed the law. The three Hebrew young men, when the king Nebuchadnezzar said, when you hear the, the music, then you shall all bow down or fall down or worship the image. And he said, we're not going to do it. But it's the law. No, we walk by a higher standard. We walk by a higher law. Not man's law. The apostle stood before the Sanhedrin and he said, didn't we command you not to preach or teach in this name? And he said, who are we? Hallelujah. Should we obey man or should we obey God? No, we're going to obey God. We're going to do as he told us. So we're going to preach and teach this. The Bible says that they just further threaten him and let him go. But bottom line is they disobeyed the law too. What am I saying? Am I saying that we ought to disobey laws and be a bunch of lawbreakers? No. What I'm saying is if the government passes laws that are unjust and laws that are unbiblical, things that violate their conscience, then we're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't buy you, but man, my house, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm walking by a higher standard. I'm trying to please him and not this government of the people, for the people, by the people, by the way. So, wow. Thank you, Jesus. I got off course a little bit. 
But work out your salvation in fear and tremble. It's something you've got to work out. And it's, uh, it's something you've got to do. And, and you're, you're, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. And you're going to have to walk this walk and, and, and walk the straight and narrow. And God's got to help you. And if you want to walk this, and you're going to reach this destination at the end of your salvation, Jesus said you've got to strive for it. That's comparable to work, work out. Just, we've got to fight the good fight. That's action. That's fasting and prayer. That's, that's just dedicating ourselves to spiritual things. It's, it's, it's subduing this human flesh that's fighting against us, not a, let alone the world. See, strive to enter into straight gate. This is what Jesus said in Luke 13, 24 to 25. Strive to enter in at the straight gate, means narrow. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door and you begin to stand without to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer saying to you, hallelujah, I know you not whence you are. Hallelujah. That's what verse 24 is talking about. Amen. When the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, it's when the trumpet sounds and when the bridegroom cometh, as we heard the parable of the ten virgins, five foolish, five wise. And the Bible says that the five wise went in. And their lamps were bright and shining, full of oil. But the five wise, what were they doing? They were sleeping and slumbering, a little folding of the hand. They were kind of lazy in their spiritual walk. They were neglecting their soul and their spiritual field. And the bridegroom returned. It was too late. That's why he said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive. You're going to have to put some effort into it. Hey, listen, it takes an effort to become, a, to be a, and, and not just become, but also to, to stay a one God apostolic tongue talk on the Holy Ghost filled, amen, holy rolling Christian child of God. It takes a determined make up, made up mind. It takes effort. Hallelujah. And this is why we're fasting. Another reason why we're fasting these 21 days to make sure that we don't get lazy in our walk with God, to make sure that God remains the number one in our lives and that we don't skip church services for any trivial reason. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And let us consider one another provoke unto love and to good works, not a little sleep or slumber or folding of the arms. Hallelujah. We're not to provoke one another to do that. Just rest a little bit more and just sleep. No, verse 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I'm coming towards the end here. Praise God, aren't you glad? How are we going to deal with our laziness? How we, well, it's just one of the, Sins. Just like any other sin. And every sin that you may be facing has got to be acknowledged first and foremost. You've got to acknowledge the truth. You know, even alcoholics, one of the first things they have to do when they go to AA meetings, they've got to come to the point where they admit the fact that indeed they have a problem. You cannot solve a problem until you admit that there is one. 
And too many times, you know, we struggle with things in our lives and we continue to struggle with them because we really don't face them head on. And, you know, we think ourselves better than that. And, and, and so, so we, we, in one respect, we just have this tendency to deceive ourselves that, nah, that's not me. But this is why fasting and prayer and seeking the face of God in, in your own time is so important because God can speak to you and show you where you're weak and where you, you are lacking. And this is a perfect time uh, as we're fasting and praying to, to make these assessments of ourselves and our souls. And understand that the hardest step to make is, is as with dealing with any sin, is to face the truth about yourself. Amen. Hallelujah. So, and so if this is one of the things you struggle with, well, there's a remedy for it. There's good news. Repent. <laughs> Hallelujah. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Interestingly, He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to born-again believers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. We need, we have, we need prayer right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.